Today we're going to hear about that dreaded companion, anger, from James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Anger is a wonderful human emotion when you must fight for your life. It's a terrible emotion in relationships and godliness. Give full vent to your anger when violence threatens your life. At all other times, call a time out until you can think clearly. Emotion overpowers one's ability to understand. When adrenaline takes control, we say and do things that are foolish, destructive, and sinful. Not is a very exclusive word. When I say two plus two are not five, there are no exceptions. James wrote, human anger will not produce godly good. God's righteousness does not come from human anger. Feeling angry? Nothing good will come of it. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You may be thinking, well, what about Jesus' anger? Well, remember, there is a Jesus, and you're not him. Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning, especially those of you who are moms. We wish you a special day. Uh, if you're worshiping as a guest with us today, we're delighted that you've come. I suspect some of you have come with your mom, that this is not your normal place to worship, but you've come with her to, to make her day special. Some of you are worshiping with us on SLCC.tv. We're grateful that you're here as well. We're in this new series called Relevant Faith, and today we're going to take a look at the second half of the first chapter of James. So if you want to turn in your scriptures or if you want to Mark it on your phone or your tablet, whatever you have with you where your Bible is located. Why, go to verse 19 and put your finger there. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a couple moments. There were two main speeches given at the dedication of the brand new National Cemetery at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. One was highly anticipated by the audience. The other was a reluctant concession to protocol. One was four times the length of my sermon's the other was shorter than a commercial break in your favorite television show. One was 13,581 words. The other was 271. The first was delivered by the most famous orator of the day, a minister who would one day serve as president of Harvard University. The second was delivered by the president of the United States. You know the second, of course. Who was the first? Anybody remember? I didn't think so. Can you quote anything from the speech? Didn't think so. The man's name was Edward Everett. And he was, by all understanding, the greatest orator of the day. But I will tell you this. Edward Everett recognized the wisdom in President Lincoln's Gettysburg address. The very next day, he sent the president a note and requested a copy of the Gettysburg address. And then he said this, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. When I read, um, let's say, from the book of Isaiah. I feel I'm reading the work of an orator, a great orator, the Edward Everett of the Old Testament. But when I read James, I feel like I'm reading practical wisdom in print, sort of the Gettysburg Address of the New Testament. James is both simple and profound. He is brief and yet overreaching. 
Anyone can benefit from this New Testament book. All of us can grow from a study of this book. And the wise counsel spelled out in today's text is as concise and yet as practical as it gets. And I'm just going to take a brief look at two sort of factors that James promotes to us here in, in the second half of chapter 1. And the first one is simply this. The problem of not listening enough. Not listening enough. In, in chapter 1 verse 19 it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, now let me begin with the last part of that paragraph that we just read. That we are to humbly accept the word planted in us which can save us. William Barclay, author, wrote that this word planted may, may refer to the inborn knowledge that we have of right and wrong and the, this inborn knowledge of God since we have been created in his image. And, and that's probably part of what James is talking about here to be sure. Uh, it, it's because when we are born we have this, well we would call it a conscience. A certain knowledge of, of, of right and wrong. But that's not the kind of knowledge. It's a general knowledge. But that kind of knowledge can't save us. I think James is referring to the gospel planted in us. Those words that can bring salvation. What happens through preaching and teaching and our own study of scripture in, in everyday ways is what we hear from God. God speaks to us in multiple ways every day. Now, I'm not talking about a voice. I don't hear a voice from God. I'm, talk, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way God speaks through his word to us and how God communicates with us so that we will know. And I never cease to be amazed at how God can use humble, less than stellar words of a servant to communicate his truth. Uh, now, I've been preaching now for over four decades and I preach from a manuscript. If you took my manuscript, you could read it like an article or something like that. It's spelled out word for word. And for the most part, I stick to it word for word because it helps me to be consistent through all three services. And if I ever want to know what I said, I can always go back to it. But I never cease to be amazed that frequently people will go out of the service and, and in a kind and encouraging way say, when you said this in your sermon, it meant so much to me. And I know I didn't say that. <laughs> now, <laughs> sometimes there's not even a vague connection to anything I said in my sermon, to be honest with you. But this is what I've learned. Because early on I thought, well, I, I didn't say that. Yeah, and that's right. But this is what I've learned because it's happened far too many times. I've learned that through the years, God knows what you need to hear. And that he is quite good at saying what needs to be said despite my efforts. So when you hear something that I didn't say, it's because God knows you need to hear it. God speaks to all of our hearts through his word. And I've noticed this through the years too, that sometimes when I'm picked up a passage of scripture that I've read umpteen times in my life, and then something jumps out of that passage to me on that day because it's probably something that's going on with my life or it's something that I need to hear from God because that's the way the word of God speaks to us. So the question is, are we really listening? I mean, not just hearing the words, but are we really listening to what God wants us to understand, implanted in us through the gospel? And you say, well, what is it that God wants us to understand? Well, in his very quick 
and practical way, James addresses a concern that, well, it can be as sticky as pine tar if we're not careful. Here's the basic premise that James is talking about here is that poor choices progressively lead to one disaster after another, and the result is never good because choices have consequences, and even the choices that we make early on in our lives can impact our adult lives. And notice this too. James says this applies to everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen. That means that nobody can get out of this. There are no exceptions to this. If you're thinking that this sermon won't apply to you, it does because it applies to me and it applies to everybody else in this room because James says it's everyone. In one sentence, James gives us a simple yet profound way to demonstrate spiritual maturity and to develop great relational skills. And, and notice this, the three imperatives are in order, a proper order. Be quick to listen when others speak. Be slow to respond to what others say. And be even slower to become angry at what's happening. Here are the consequences. When you don't listen well, you tend to talk more. When you talk more, you tend to say things that are unwise. When you say what is unwise, it causes others to react negatively. When others react negatively, you get angry. And when you get angry, you forfeit any victory that you might have in the conversation or in the relationship. So let's explore the wisdom here for a minute. Be quick to listen. It's been said you can win more friends with your ears than with your mouth. It's true. Good communication begins with the sense of hearing. Even under the best of circumstances, researchers tell us that 20% of all communication is misunderstood because we aren't listening. And have you ever noticed this? The same letters that are used to spell listen are also used to spell silent. I suspect there's a lesson in that for us right there. So where does listening begin? Well, if I truly want to improve in this area, I must, first of all, I think, give careful attention to the Word of God. I need to listen to what God has to say to me from His Word. you got to be tuned into it. Have you ever noticed how a mother in a room full of crying babies can pick out the cry of her baby when he or she starts? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, you walk in, this is a cacophony of, of noise in the nursery. But a mother can hear when her baby starts up. Because she is tuned in to that voice. We would do well to tune into the voice of God. Everything we need for developing spiritual maturity is contained in the word of God. It doesn't maybe give us details of some things that we'd like to know. But the, but the categories are there. Uh, it, it will guide us to spiritual maturity. It will help us improve. Because scripture provides information on attitudes, marriage, parenting, working relationships, friendship, worship, work, leisure, materialism, benevolence, and the list goes on. So learn to listen carefully to what God has to say. And then learn to listen carefully to what trusted friends and family have to say. Or in other words, listen to the wisdom of others. Stephen Covey wrote, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Now, I don't know if anybody else is guilty in this room, but I am. There have been plenty of times in my life when, when I'm listening and, and forming my response 
which is not what I should be doing. Because really, I, I, I might miss the most important part of what that person has to say to me if I'm thinking about what I'm going to say back. And, 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 and if what they're saying is a little bit hard for me to hear, I'm in a defensive mood. That's even worse. We may be so busy trying to defend ourselves that we miss the wisdom of those who love and care about us. Even when the words hurt a bit, they're intended to help. I ask for Elsie's opinion, but I don't always like what she has to say. I keep asking, though, because I know she loves me and because I know she'll always be honest with me. And I'm a better person when I listen. You see, the people who love us don't deserve our reproach. They deserve our ears. And then, slow to speak. Do you, do you realize how hard this passage is for a preacher? Man, this is a tough one. But this truth remains. Sometimes you can make a more effective statement by holding your tongue. I, I've never really had to apologize much for what I didn't say. How about you? It is estimated that the average person has approximately 30 conversations during the course of every day. Speaking enough words for 60 plus pages of single spaced manuscript. Since we spend so much time each day using words, shouldn't, shouldn't we make sure that the words we use are important? So take your time. Think before you speak. And then be slow to become angry. I read about a small accident on a two-lane road. It wasn't a very big fender bender, but both of the drivers got out of the car hot under the collar. Their anger led to an argument. The argument led to a fist fight, which escalated into an all-out brawl where the men lurched into the adjacent road, got hit by an oncoming truck, and were killed. All because of anger. Statistically, one out of five Americans has an anger management problem. A Gallup poll found that one employee in six can recall a time in the previous 12 months when they were so annoyed with a coworker that they wanted to punch him. That's not good. The problem is not anger. It's the inability to control or to manage our anger. Someone put it wisely. Anger is a prison we lock ourselves in while continuing to hold the keys. Uncontrolled anger works against the life that God desires for us. Actor Chuck Norris said, men are like steel. When they lose their temper, they lose their worth. When you feel yourself losing your temper, you can count to 10 if you want to. But my experience is that that just delays the inevitable by about 10 seconds. I think it takes more than numbers. I, I think you need something more substantial. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that you either take a little piece of paper, you write it down, keep it in your pocket or your, your billfold or, or purse or something, or better yet, take your, your phone, your smartphone, and put it on the notes page. Something that you'll have with you at all times. Something you can get to readily and quickly. And write down some passages of Scripture that will maybe help stem the tide of the anger. For, and you say, well, what, what Scriptures would those be? Well, let me give a few, few examples. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. That's just three verses from one book. The scriptures are full of verses that could be used to apply. And maybe by the time we've read through the power of those words, 
and we've taken enough time to search them for a moment or two, it will help the anger to be quelled. Maybe you'll calm down just enough that you won't say something that you have to apologize for later. James's wisdom is so practical here if we'd follow it. Just think, one verse of scripture, how it would change our lives, how it would change our society if we would do this. Be quick to listen and then slow to respond and really slow to become angry. Wow. See how practical James can be. So here's, here's the second part of that passage. First of all, we talked about not listening enough. Here's the second part, listening too much. And you say, are you being contradictory here? Nope. It's James just has cleverly tied these two unique thoughts together around this concept of listening. Let's start in verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now you're getting it, aren't you? You can listen too much and, and, and do nothing in the process. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's call to action. Yes, God wants us to listen to him, but if that's all we do, we've missed his point. Don't just listen, don't just talk, put actions to the words. It's the doing that counts. You've heard the old expression, what you what you. Here's the old expression. Let me try that one more time, all right? I'll get this. What you speak, what, what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. What you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. It's, it's a reminder that we need to make sure that our actions give credibility to our words. Because if the two are off sync, well, we'll be considered hypocritical. It's the doing that counts. James begins with a warning about using the wrong mirror. You say, well, I didn't know there was a wrong mirror. Well, yeah, there is. Have you counted the number of mirrors in your house? Have you, have you thought how many times you stop and look in a mirror every day? <laughs> One study revealed that on average, men look in a mirror 27 times a day, women 34 times a day. Not a lot of difference. And the issue isn't how many times you look in the mirror or how many mirrors you have. It's far more about the reflected comparison that you make. You see, when I look in a mirror, I'm only comparing myself with myself. You know, when I get up in the morning and I look into the mirror, unless something cataclysmic has taken place in the night, I pretty much look like I did the disheveled day before and the disheveled day before that and the day before that. And I generally walk away and kind of forget all about it. It's kind of like the mirror is saying, after all these years, it is what it is. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't make a big deal out of it. I can live with that because I'm just comparing myself to myself. What James is worried about here is that we're doing the same thing with the inner self. That, that when, when we take a look at the heart or the soul or the inner being, that we're comparing ourselves with ourselves, which is an imperfect standard. 
You see, if my point of personal evaluation is no better than me, I'll never change anything. James says you need to take a look into the perfect law of liberty here. That we need to stop comparing ourselves with ourselves. So let's check ourselves against something that is perfect, and that's God's standard. And when we're checking ourselves against God's standard, then we are challenged to make the appropriate changes. And see, James refers to in verse 25, the law of liberty, the royal law, or the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God, love others. This is not an option, folks. This is for everybody. Right attitudes, which come as we listen to God's word, give way to right actions, which comes as we practice God's word. We must be quick to listen, but we must also be quick to act because it's the doing that counts. Hearing without doing doesn't cut it. And notice the criteria for our action. Again, verse 27. Religion that God our, Father, God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Very simply, James says this. Help others and help yourself. That's true religion. That's true maturity. And James specifically mentions widows and orphans in this text who are in distress. In the first century, orphans and widows were the most helpless people in society. They had no one to care for them. But if James were writing today, he might simply put it this way. Look for those who are the most helpless in your culture and lend a helping hand or an encouraging word. If we are to truly be religious, spiritual, we must move from the comfort of our pews to address the pain of those who are in need. Most of the time, it doesn't take a great strategy. It just takes a great willingness to put our faith into action, to stop just talking and do. Now, that's just part of the reason we give. You know, every, every week we take up an offering. And yes, part of the offering goes to the mundane. Things like utilities, paint, repairs, new roof, replacing what's broken. It's the same stuff you do in your own home. It's not the fun stuff to spend for, isn't it? Oh, this needs to be painted. This needs to be fixed. That's hard. But the, the, but the fun stuff comes through our giving. When I see things like, uh, well, two weeks ago when Ajay Law spoke here, you know, just, just seeing the ministry of Central India Christian Mission, the, the hundreds, the thousands of lives that are being changed by the work of that particular mission, and to know that we participate, we are a partner with them. So the money that we send from here to India is making a difference. It's changing lives, and it's reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just around the corner is our International Furniture Giveaway. Boy, that is just a terrific time. You want to see something exciting, you look at that because that's words in action. Backyard VBX is coming up next month. Still need some volunteers for that, yes. But you want to see something exciting. You see these kids learning and growing. You see, that's words in action. Our college team this past week was serving in Honduras. That's words in action. That's why we give. And if Tim ends up building his deck and, re, 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 you know, pulls back on some of his resources, we're all going to have to pitch in and help a little bit more, aren't we? <laughs> and James adds that in the process of doing good, make sure you keep on being good. In other words, don't let your own life become polluted by the world. The word here is spotless. That's a tall order, folks, in a world that likes to throw mud 
In the last few decades, we've learned how damaging pollution is to God's nature, and our culture is making strides to preserve his creation. Can I, can I tell you this? I think as Christians, we ought to be leading the way in caring for our planet, doing what little things or big things that we can do. I mean, after all, that was part of the mandate that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden to take care of his creation. So I, I think we ought to do our best. Okay, it's God's planet. We need to do a good job. But in our efforts, I think we have overlooked the biggest pollution issue of all, and that's our personal pollution. Have our inner lives become polluted landfills? How, how can we help others if we haven't helped ourselves? Look at verse 21 again. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Most of us. No, no, no. All of us require some inner cleanup. And I think, I think it is so much easier to see pollution around us than it is to see pollution in us. And you say, well, you're, you're probably right. I probably need to do some inner recycling. No, that's not what I said. James isn't talking about recycling. Recycling is when you take other things that can be reused. But there's nothing about the filth and the sin that can ever be reused. It just needs to be trashed. And we're never too old. We're never too old to be tempted by the moral trash that can pollute our souls. And here's the rub. We think we are so good about talking our way out of anything. The teacher was handing back graded essays but stopped, gave one of those looks that only teachers can give and said, Charlie, your composition on my dog is word for word the same as your older brother's. Did you copy his? And Charlie answered, no, ma'am, it's, it's, it's the same dog. <laughs> Sometimes we think we can fool God and we can fool others, but God knows. We can't fool him. We can't talk ourselves out of it with him. So think before you speak. Think before you act. When you're tempted to compromise your marriage vows, count the number of people who you will destroy for years to come for your brief moments of pleasure now. When you're tempted to lie, think about the years of trust you'll forfeit for a 30-second deceit. When you're tempted to cheat, stop and think how you would feel if somebody cheated you in the same way. Have you ever stopped to think about this? When somebody reels in a five-pound bass, now I don't know, it, it, takes, it takes a long time for a bass to go to five pounds. When somebody reels in a five-pound bass, imagine how many times that bass has avoided a hook, a lure, a worm, a bobber, whatever is out there in the water. All it takes, though, is one time one time and you're hooked and reeled in there are a lot of hooks out there do not let down your guard you can be hooked and reeled in any minute Bob Russell said the pain of the harvest always exceeds the pleasure of the sowing but but when we listen well and when we act even better the result will always be a positive let me say that again when you listen well and act even better, the result will always be a positive. Mrs. Staples listened well. She followed the instructions to the T. She did her best for the war effort. 
After all, her son Elgin Staples was serving in the South Pacific on the heavy cruiser USS Astoria. During the Battle of Savile Island in 1942, Elgin was swept overboard when a gun turret exploded and peppered his legs with shrapnel. He was wearing a small rubber life belt. That's all he had, but it was enough that kept him uh, buoyant. Rescued by a passing ship, he was returned to the Astoria just in time for it to sink. So he's back in the water for a second time. Still wearing the same narrow life belt, but it did its job. He was one of 500 saved and eventually transferred home. Twice in the water, twice saved. He noticed a small tag on the life belt, manufactured by the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and memorized the registration number. After all, he owed his life to that rubber belt twice. Once home, Elgin shared his story, and then he asked his mother, who happened to work for Firestone, about the purpose of the number, and she replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility for the war effort, and that the number was unique and was assigned to only one inspector, and that way they could track if the inspector was doing the job. Elgin, by memory, quoted the number. There was a moment of silence, and then his mother said, son, that was my number. I'm the one that checked that belt. Listen well. Act even better. You never know whose life it might save. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.